0: I'm not a very big fan of poetry, and so I don't read it well. I don't know any poems that you haven't heard. But the older I get, there are a few that you have heard mean more. One of those is Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken. I was in Marge Elder's literature class, and she raised a generation of scholars, and poets, and I was the only Philistine in the class, and so I got through the class without loving poetry the way that she did, but let me try. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both, and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and it wanted wear, though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I chose the one less traveled by, and it has made all the difference. You cannot make a decision before there's a decision to make. So some of you cannot decide anything this morning, but others of you can And I've been praying all week that you'll be able to make that decision. We started last fall with a study in Proverbs with a quote from Raymond Ortland that said, Everyone is on a path. Everyone is going somewhere. Even when we feel stuck, even when we feel trapped, the truth is, We are still in motion, for life is a journey, and the end of it all is not just a place, but a condition. In fact, he said, we are becoming the end of our journey, wise or foolish, and every moment takes us closer there. We started out last fall talking about Proverbs wisdom as if life were a river. Do you remember this? That's good. We didn't blow the fall. If you're just coming and joining us now, this this stuff's all online, you can watch it there if you want. Uh, But we said life flows like a river uh, in one of two directions Uh, like I'm coming up the river now. it starts out with subtle little currents that are just sometimes uh, an inch apart from one another. They're both moving under your feet at the same time. And to be in one current or be in the other does not feel that different to you at first. But over time, those currents will start to separate. They'll go into a riffle. And when it falls into a riffle, it's beginning to gain momentum and velocity. And from there, it will become more like a rapid or a torrent. And by the time that subtle little current has become a torrent, it is hard to get out of it and into another one. So if you want to be in one torrent instead of another, you have to make that decision early on in the river where the currents are still subtle and almost indistinguishable from one another. So Proverbs lays itself out like this. It says that we are all born with predispositions, and that is true even this morning if you think about it. When you came here this morning, you were either predisposed to listen or not to listen. No one can change that about you. It's the way you are. You are predisposed to be teachable or not to be teachable. Some of you uh, intuitively seem to fear the Lord. It's like you were born with it. So you think about him all the time. Others of you were, don't think about him much at all, except on Sunday when I bring his name up. Some of you naturally like discipline. You see the usefulness of it. You value it. Others of you, you hate discipline. And so you try to avoid it as long as you can. But those are predispositions. And depending on the way you are predisposed, you will probably act in that way. And the moment you act, you can't unact. Now you've committed yourself. You can change if you want, but the moment you act, if the only consequence is that it makes the next act a little bit easier, that's something of a consequence. So you have to make decisions early in life because over time, the decisions that you make create your actions And your actions harden over time into habits. And then your habits become your nature. And your nature, ultimately your character, and your character will either lead to death or it will lead to life. That was the book of Proverbs there in about two minutes. What took us all fall to do that? Now, in the book of Proverbs, the word river is almost never mentioned. I hijacked the book last fall and used the word river because to speak of life as subtle currents was something I thought we could all get. The word that Proverbs uses for river is the word darek. It's a Hebrew word. It's used over 70 times, 25 times in just the first nine chapters. It's full of this word, darek, and it means road, path, way, trail. So every time you read about Proverbs being a river, the word it will actually use is the way. It will never say, be careful, the river. It will always say, be careful, the way. For the way is like the river. It starts out with two little paths that are so close and indistinguishable from one another, you can't tell the difference. But there will come a time when those little paths will diverge and go in two slightly different directions, only about two degrees from one another. But over time, they will lead to two entirely different destinies. So be careful, says Proverb. the way that you go. Now, of the 71 times that Proverbs uses this Hebrew word for road or path or way, it uses it in two different connotations. One of those refers to to a path that is in front of you. It's one that is prescribed. So like when you're walking, you see the path and you stay on it. It's already there. So in Proverbs, you'll read things like, the Lord guards the way of the just. Don't set your foot on the path, there's that same word again, of the wicked, or, or walk in the way, there it is, of evil. Keep your father's commands and your mother's teachings for their corrections and their discipline are the way to life. The Lord detests the way of the wicked but loves those who pursue righteousness. He's talking about a road that is in front of you. Now, the problem with this road is you don't know where it goes. The problem is, you could be on a way that you think is right, and it could lead you over a cliff. And you won't know it all the way back here. So Proverbs says, in Proverbs 12, 15, listen to the language. It says, to a fool, all of his ways seem right. He don't set out in life to say, well, if I do everything right, I'll screw this up. He does what he thinks is right, and then it starts to gain momentum. And then he makes a choice, and a few years later, the choice makes him, and now he's stuck. And he don't like where it's going, but he can't get off. And so Proverbs says, Two times, Proverbs chapter 14 and chapter 16. Listen to the language. There is a way, there's that word, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end are the ways of death. That's powerful. Translated, a guy can do what he thinks is right until it's too late. So the rule of thumb in this first way, the one in front of you is, you don't have the power to discern which is the better way. You can't know this. You would have to have someone who's already lived life and then come back to tell you. Because you're trapped in time. You can't live the end of the river. You're in the middle of it. The second use of the word uh, for way is not the road that's in front of you. It's the one behind you. It's, it's a nuance. It means um, it's not a trail that you're following. It's a trail that you're leaving. So whenever you're wandering around, <laughs> and you don't know where you are, we all know where you've been because that's where the grass is matted down. There's a trail there. Are you with me? Even if you don't know where you're going, we know where you've been. It's not only the trail you're following, it's the one that you're leaving, that your children will follow. Now, here's the thing about this. You can never tell yourself what trail you're leaving. If we ask you, you won't know the whole answer. Proverbs sixteen two says, all a man's ways seem innocent to him. So you're Path or the trail that you're leaving is a pattern of your behaviors. It's how people know what you're going to do before you do anything. My wife and I had a conversation a few months ago. She was making plans without me. I said, how come you didn't ask? She said, well, because I know you. I know what you're going to say. And if you're like me, you, you, you like fight that. And you go, really? Well, put it out there. I'll do the opposite. I'll show you. Go ahead. Tell me what you think I'm going to say. But if you were smart, I wasn't, you would say, really? What do you know about me that I don't know? Because... Your way, the trail behind you, is something we all know about you. Everybody knows your way. They've been working around it for years, except you. You don't know your way, because you think it's the only way. You think, why wouldn't you do it this way? Only an idiot wouldn't do it this way. Well, most of us don't do it that way. So you need someone who's not you to introduce you to you (laughs) because you are so lost in your way. Well, I wouldn't do it that way. Well, I would. So you need other people. This way, if you're like one of those loners, you say, No, no, I don't follow anybody. I do whatever I want to do. Well, that's fine. But remember, even if you're not following a path, you're leaving one. Somebody can figure you out. They already have. There's a trail. Now, occasionally, you won't know where you are, and you won't know where you're going. And if you're a guy, this is most of the time, but you never admit it. I was uh, hunting uh, in Michigan. I was 24, 25 years old. Some guys said, "We're gonna go go deer hunting. We'll go deer hunt." So we go up to this city and outside on state property and head down the trail. And each after that, you just break off and you don't hunt in pairs. You you break off on your own, and you sit and wait. And if, if you're like most, you sit there and wait for the deer to introduce himself, and he hasn't yet. And so you're thinking, I bet he ain't on this trail. I bet he's somewhere in the thick of them woods where the evergreens are. And so you start heading off the trail and back into the woods, and before that you look around and think, nope, I think I hear something over there. And off you go over there, and this is exactly what I was doing. Finally, I found myself in the middle of state property, surrounded by trees and thicket, not a trail anywhere near me, in the middle of the woods. Late in the afternoon, I have no compass. There is no sun. It's getting late. My blood sugar is dropping. I can feel it. And so my cognitive powers, already quite low, are diminishing. One direction looks as good as another, and I stand in the middle of the woods not having a clue how I got here or how I'm going to get out. And I remember thinking, I can't believe this. This is how a 24-year-old dies. <laughs> I wanted to fire a couple shots because at least it could be said at my funeral it was a gunfire. and. Finally, I had enough lucidity to pray one last time. And I just said, Dear Lord, I pray one of my friends sees a deer. Because I knew if he saw a deer, he'd shoot at it. Probably miss, but he'd shoot at it. And when he shot at it, I could hear the sound of the rifle and I would start moving in that direction. Since I was too confused to find my way out. Within two minutes, I heard a crack, crack like that. And I turned and I heard the Sound of a shotgun, and I started moving in that direction and fumbled my way back to a trail. And when I found the trail, I started walking on that trail until I found something familiar, and I made it back to the car, got into the car, and found what little food was there, and I ate it, and I waited for Harold to show up. He finally comes and says, well, how'd it go for you? I went awful. I don't have anything in the tank. Get in the car. We're dri- You're driving. I could get back to the car, but I could not get home. What happens when you're lost in life, you're not asking yourself, how can I screw my life up? So whenever religious people talk about irreligious people as if they were foolish, it's insulting to them and to me. Nobody says, how do I screw my life up? What happens is you wander off the trail. You think there's something better inside that thicket and you go after it. And then you make another decision and that eliminates two options and so you make another decision and another three options disappear and then you make another decision and before long you find yourself trapped inside of a situation you cannot get out of. And it is late in the day and you have no compass and your cognitive powers are dropping and one direction looks as good as another. For some preacher to jump into your life and say, you know why your life is screwed up? Because you're making bad decisions. You should know that those decisions move in the way of death so why are you moving out of one relationship and into another why are you so stupid with your money they're not stupid because they want to be they are stupid so many of them because they are trapped If they had options, that was a long time ago. But this is about 20 years later, and a lot of them are stuck. And they don't need religious people to stand there and point in the direction. They need somebody who will fire a dadgum shot so they can hear it. Somebody fire a shot. Somebody be close enough me to say something that means Something like sense Let me speak for him I am not stupid I'm not wicked I'm not evil I'm stuck I am exactly where you would be if you had my options and somebody will just say something that i can hear i'll stumble back to a path and if i can if i can get on that path maybe somebody will find me and they can get me home israel is exactly in that predicament. All this talk about the way, the way, the way, in Job, in Psalms, and in Proverbs, is ringing in Israel's ears, and even while they're talking about the way, they're lost. Read Old Testament, and you see this. And so a prophet named Isaiah, a prophet named Isaiah, will rise up in Isaiah chapter 2 and says, people, there is coming one who will teach us his ways. Isaiah said, you will hear a voice from behind you and it will say, this is the way, walk in it. Isaiah said, there will be a highway called holiness and anything unclean will not be able to walk on it. But those who love the way will be able to walk on it. Isaiah said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way. Every mountain shall be brought low. Every valley shall be raised. And it will be the way of the Lord. This was Isaiah talking to a nation that is lost in the woods, that's just ricocheting off of one bad decision after another. Imagine how things would change if, in the middle of your confusion, somebody would show up with a way out. So, in the New Testament, when Jesus Says those immortal words, I am the way. He goes back into the Old Testament and he collects about 800 years of history, puts it together, fires a shot, says, Follow me, I'll get you out of here because you're lost. what he says is i am the way the truth and the life this is a college church and so we love cognition here <laughs> i love it i love intellect now good at it but i do value it so i tend to read right past jesus is the way To get to Jesus is the truth. That's what I want to talk about. How Jesus is the truth. As if Jesus were a propositional doctrine. The truth is not a proposition. It's a place. You have to be in it to recognize it. And you can't get in it unless you follow the way. The way is how you get to the truth. See, the problem with starting with Jesus' truth is we lead people to believe that the Christian life is a series of doctrines that you have to believe whether you really believe them or not. But when you say Jesus is the way, what you're saying to them is he will lead you in the way of life. He already knows everything that you want in its purest, most primitive form. He knows what you want and he knows the best way to get it. Follow him that way. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, follow Jesus and if you can find another way, he'd be the first one to tell you to take it. In other words... Jesus is the way any fool would take if they knew what Jesus knew. But they don't. This is where it helps to listen. Because he will say things to us that seem to us hard to hear. So when you get into the uh, New Testament and you hear Jesus talking about the way, you got all of Proverbs behind you like a mighty river, just saying if you follow Jesus, He will take you to the good life. Only when you get into the Gospels, there are two sudden changes. One of those is that you discover in Jesus that this way that you're all pursuing is unpopular, it's uncommon, it's countercultural. Remember what Jesus said was wide is the gate and broad is the way. There's that word again that leads to destruction, but small is the gate and narrow is the Way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. So what Jesus says in the New Testament is this way that all of God's people have been singing about is not as popular as we think. This is, this is good for us as church people because sometimes what we think is we made our decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. So, all this talk about choosing the way is for people that have not yet figured that out. No, no, but read the New Testament, and when he says this, broad is the way he's talking to religious people. They're all over the mountains, they are listening. It's the Sermon on the Mount. These are not irreligious people. They're religious people who think they found it. And what he's saying is, there will seem to you a way that is common that everybody else has taken, and I'm telling you that this is another way. Which leads to the second nuance. The way of Jesus is not only uncommon, it's unnatural. It's hard. All the way through the Gospel of Luke, I find two patterns. One is that wherever Jesus goes, he collects a crowd. If I read this right, you guys, nine times from Luke chapter 9 to Luke chapter 19, nine times it says the crowd found him and they all got around him. The second thing I noticed is as soon as they found him, he left them. He bailed every time. So as soon as he would attract a crowd, he would avoid them. And the way that he did it was never to put them down. He never criticized them. Watch him. Read Luke 9-19 and watch his pattern. He'll just start walking along the way, and all of a sudden, he'll say something that's really hard and unpopular. And when he says that, he's hanging a sharp right. <laughs> And everybody else is going straight ahead. The way that Jesus thins the crowd is to say things unpopular with the crowd. But here's the upside to that. Just like Proverbs says, there is a way that seems right to a man and the end is the way of death. Jesus would say, there is a way that feels wrong to a man, but the end is the way of life. Oh, this is good. To a lot of people, they're chasing something like Easter and they end up with something like Good Friday. But what Jesus says is, If you will do the hard thing that is unnatural, that doesn't feel right, that's counterintuitive, that you say, I can't believe he's calling me to do this because this couldn't possibly be the good life. If you will follow him into hard places, it will feel like death, but it will lead to life. You'll be pursuing something that feels like Good Friday, and you'll end up on Easter. Boy, last last uh, couple of weeks in our church, we put a line out and asked people, "When did God seem to you distant? When the committee did not fund the work?" when they placed unspoken expectations on me, when they responded with racism and prejudice, when the opportunity came and went, when I was left asking, am I not good enough, when my best friend walked away, when they betrayed me, when I felt invisible and deliberately ignored, when forgiveness wasn't even offered, when he yelled and screamed at me, when I couldn't take my words back, when he vowed he'd never leave, But he did when he chose her instead of me, when death took my loved one, when you didn't heal him from cancer, when I... Begged you to let him live when I never saw the warning signs, when he died suddenly in an accident, when I didn't even get to say goodbye, when everyone went back to their life, when my weekend was different from everyone else, when I cried myself to sleep, when she lost her memory, when she had a baby and I could not, when I had to parent someone on my own, when my child turned and left me. Those were from our own people. People. So what are the biggest misnomers in our churches that we don't have problems? Dude, that is a catalog of problems. That is real life. And here's the thing. Every time something like this happens, we have been trained by the culture to think that something is wrong. We push back and say to ourselves, what have I done wrong? And then we find somebody as quick as we can who will fix it, who will put our pieces back together again and put us back on the way that goes to the good life. What if you're wrong about the good life? that couldn't be man they were all of Israel and they were at least as pious as any Wesleyan I ever met they were all wrong about the good life what if you are what if every time God calls you into something hard and you want to get out of it, it is actually the way to life. What if you stopped fighting it and just rolled with it? What if you improvised? Whole new script, and you just follow it. you'd end up on Easter. So, this Lent, I want to call us to, um, to a narrow way. As I watch Jesus walk along the way, I see him get into things I would never get into. I thought of it just this morning, sitting over here. I read the Gospels, and if I got this right, people, some of my enemies are his friends. That's a big problem. Some of the people that I'm avoiding, he was with. And some of the people I like being with, he avoided. That's a big problem. So when I follow Jesus along the way, he starts making a bunch of unpopular turns down some narrow road. Less taken. And all I want from us as we take this journey together. Listen, ain't nobody knows where we're going, least of all me. But as we take this journey together, oh, if I could get you to do just one thing, if I could just get you to drop every preconceived idea you have about holiness. I know the way that our church defines it and the way, I I mean, I get that. But we've been wrong before. What if you just followed what Jesus said? Did, and then you said to yourself, I will find a way to do that. I don't know if I'll do it very good, but I will find a way to do some form of that in my life. That would be a radical thing. And if we did this over a few weeks, we'd find ourselves like leaving the most popular road and going down a narrow one, but we'd find ourselves in really good company.